Welcome everybody to the Game Informer Show, a weekly podcast covering the video game industry. Join us every Thursday for a discussion about the latest gaming news, reviews, and exclusive reveals alongside Game Informer staff and special guests from around the industry. I'm your host, Alex Van Aken, and today I'm joined by our online content director, Brian Shea. Hello, Brian. Hey, Alex. Thanks for having me. It's been a minute. It has. You've been busy doing all things Nintendo and, you know, killing that show. I was looking at, by the way, I was looking at our numbers behind the scenes the other day. All things Nintendo is crushing it. Oh, really? Well, that's good to hear. I intentionally do not check the numbers, but I'll have to get like that sneak, like that peek behind the curtain after we're done here. Yeah, yeah, you're doing great. Uh, and then we are also rounded out by a special guest, the actual, the the recent editor of this show, Matt Storm. Hello, Matt. How are you? I'm great. It's a pleasure to be here. A longtime fan of GI, of the GI show, of all the GI podcasts. And uh, yeah, editing this show. I've been, I think, the last six episodes, except for the most recent video special episode, I have edited. And it's been, it's been a pleasure. It's been a blast. Yeah, that was part of our, um, you know, part of our new freelance budget and you have been a lifesaver uh, for my bandwidth every week so and we, we've been friends for a while before this so uh, we wanted to get you on here and you've been playing some Splatoon and we'll, we'll get into all that later but people want to go and follow you Matt where can they do so so the best place to check out all the stuff I do is djstormageddon.com and then the best place to interact with me is dj underscore stormageddon on all social media platforms uh, if you want to yell at me about video games or music or anime those are the best places to find all the stuff that I work on awesome and then you host the fun and games and then the reignite podcast uh, and, and and more but screen snark <laughs> all that um but yeah go follow matt over on those channels for the f- the whole rundown <laughs> uh so we got a big episode today we're going to be talking about the new single player iron man game that was announced as part of the new ea and marvel collaboration uh, we're going to be talking about the unprecedented levels of leaks uh for grand theft auto 6 over the weekend and these these were confirmed by Rockstar officially. Uh, they are legitimate. And, you know, just by the the nature of the leaks, it's pretty cl- Even if they hadn't confirmed it, like, it's just, it's real. And then during the playlist, we're going to talk a little bit about Splatoon 3, Temtem, and Metal Hellslinger. And, of course, at the end of the show, we've got some great listener questions. So, Shay, I'm going to take it over to you. Talking about this Motive Studio, they, they're, they're working on a single-player Iron Man game uh, under EA. Can you tell me more about this? Yeah, so they announced that it is a triple A single player third person action game. It is obviously starring Iron Man, but uh, they also want to, they said that they want to, let me find the quote here, channel the complexity, charisma, and creative genius of Tony Stark, enabling players to feel what it's like to truly play as Iron Man, which sounds more in line with the Iron Man VR games mission, which they really tried to hammer that home. If you played that in 2020 when it came out for PlayStation VR, yeah. they really tried to do that. And I think they did it to varying degrees of success because they had a great feeling of like, all right, you're just Tony Stark walking around his mansion. You're able to like use like his like hologram to uh, like his computer that he can just like use, like kind of point at and have it do that, mm-hmm. uh, all that stuff. But uh, I don't know how they're going to really capture it. They, I mean, EA has the flight controls down because they worked on Anthem, and you know that game obviously oh, flopped. Yeah, but like you know, EA and BioWare—they're the same company right now. So that's a really good call. So I mean, it's a perfect fit for them to have the Iron Man games under this banner. So I know this is—they've they, said this is like the first game 
of several titles coming with a new collaboration that they're announcing alongside Marvel. That was something that was kind of buried in this announcement. Like, it was at the very bottom. It was like, yeah, Iron Man is just the first of several games that we're going to be putting out as a new collaboration between Electronic Arts and Marvel. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Because, you know, uh, previously it was, like, kind of spread across a bunch of different developers. Like, you know, there was Insomniac working on Spider-Man. There was Square Enix working on Guardians of the Galaxy and Avengers. And actually, they got some talent from those games. So uh, the the team is going to be led by Olivier Prohl, who was the producer of Guardians of the Galaxy. And he also was in production leadership. I don't know exactly what that role entails for Marvel's Avengers, which, you know, there were... Several problems with that game. Obviously, it has not lived up to the the expectations of a lot of fans. And, you know, I, I voiced my frustration with that game and how it was handled, especially post-launch. Yeah. Uh, but the single-player stuff in that game was actually very good. I enjoyed the single-player story of Marvel's Avengers. It was just all the BS surrounding it that I hated of that game. <laughs> yeah. Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy, I think, was overlooked by a lot of people because of the sins of its predecessor, Marvel's Avengers. Uh, under Square Enix, you know, if another studio did that, I think it would have, or another publisher had put that out, I think it would have gotten a lot more praise. And I mean, it did win several awards last year. So I think Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy is a very good game to have somebody who worked on that game come over and work on this, even though it was a different publisher. Like having Olivier sure, yeah. running this project as the executive producer is, I think, very valuable. And then he also has uh, Ian Frazier, who worked on Star Wars Squadron and uh, Mass Effect Andromeda. Malin Lumino, I'm, hopefully I'm not butchering that. I know I probably am, though. She worked on Immortals Phoenix Rising and Assassin's Creed Odyssey. And then uh, Jean-Francois Poirier, who worked on Star Wars Squadron and Star Wars Battlefront 2. So you have some industry veterans heading this up. I mean, Motive is a good studio. They're working on the Dead Space remake currently. That's set to wrap up pretty soon here iron man is just entering pre-production right now so so likely they will just jump to that so i would imagine yeah the the team that's working on dead space i don't know what type of like post-launch stuff they have planned for that game i don't think they've announced anything along those lines like if we're going to get any kind of like dlc or updates or anything i'm assuming like if there's any like kind of technical stuff they would do some patches but like i don't know if they've planned any content updates for the dead space remake but uh, outside of that, I mean, I, I would imagine a lot of that team would jump over to the Iron Man project once that game launches, because right now it's in pre-production. Once it kicks into full production, I bet that we would get that. But something that really kind of caught me off guard is that this game did not get announced at D23. They had a big Marvel and or Disney and Marvel game oh, yeah. showcase less than two weeks ago. And here we are having this get announced outside of that i mean we got the captain america and black panther game from skydance new media with amy hedig uh kind of running that show why would they not do the one-two punch of having a, another triple a game starring another one of their most beloved characters in iron man like that seems like strange to not i wonder if like maybe the the ink wasn't completely dry on like the collaboration that they were announcing and they wanted to kind of do it all in one fell swoop or something maybe wanted to keep the focus on one big i mean if you're talking about two major triple a I, I don't know because that's a lot of eyes were on that stream though. Like you think they'd yeah, want to have true. as many people looking yeah. at these games as possible. And yeah, this was kind of strange of like a strange way of announcing it. I guess maybe there's no trailer, so that that might be why. Like there's not a cinematic trailer to this. Like they had like I mean there was no gameplay whatsoever for the Skydance game, but we did get a cinematic trailer. Maybe this was at such like a new kind of infancy level of the project that they didn't even have any kind of 
cinematic assets or anything available. Maybe this was just like a, hey, we just inked this deal. We just want to kind of get this out there with this one little piece of art that we can put at the header of our blog post yeah. about this game. But, I mean, you know, this is a game that I'm super excited about. I mean, we've had some varying levels of success in Iron Man games. Like, we've had Iron Man 1 and 2, which were based on the MCU movies. Uh, they weren't super good. We've had uh, the Avengers game, which, again, I think that Iron Man was among the, the weakest components of that. I think yeah. That, like, yep. Yeah, I agree. But if you think about it, though, like characters like Iron Man, characters like Thor, they should be the ones that feel the most exciting to play as. Like, the reason that Captain America and Black Widow feel so good in that game is because they're just doing, like, kind of the Arkham type of combat, right? It's just <laughs> like, all right... Doing hand-to-hand combat, you have some gadgets, and then maybe you counter and parry every once in a while. That's well-treaded uh, territory, right? Like, the Iron Man part of it, we've seen, again, Anthem was uh, mishandled, but also it was very fun in terms of, like, being an Iron Man simulator for, like, oh, yeah. what was there. Absolutely. The gameplay of that game was really good. Yeah. I, yeah. The loop was fun. It's all the nonsense surrounding it that caused it to tank. Yeah. And uh, so... If they can figure out a way to strike that balance and get uh, a game that plays extremely well and uh, kind of crack the code that the team at, at Crystal Dynamics and Square Enix weren't able to crack by giving us a, an Iron Man that not only feels fun to play as, but also super powerful the way he should. Because that's the other thing is like Square Enix had to balance and Crystal Dynamics had to balance a multiplayer aspect of this as well where you can't just make one character feel super powerful and be like all right well that's that's that they had to balance it so like iron man feels the way hulk feels and feels the way that black widow feels and it's like you have equal reason to play as all these characters but in a single player game you can just make them extremely powerful and extremely fun to play as and i think that uh iron man vr actually did a very good job of that it's just you know there was some frustration regarding like flying around in the open world or like the open areas it wasn't open world but like there were some big open maps and flying through those sometimes were frustrating but Mm. overall it felt good to play as like i think that everybody's kind of dancing around the way to make this feel good and i think motive might have that key especially if they work with people who contributed to anthem like if they can get some bioware people to kind of give them like Hey, here's the how we made Anthem. Yeah, how, here's how we made yeah. it, it fun to fly around in these these uh, mecha, mecha suits. Then that's a huge step in the right direction. Hell yeah, uh, Matt. What do you think about all this news? I mean, like, I'm a MCU fan. I'm a Marvel fan. I'm a like unabashed dork to the point where like I don't engage in the conversation about a lot of this stuff online. I just kind of know better at this point. But like. I mean, what y'all said about Anthem, like the first, when I first played the beta for Anthem, that was the first thing I said is like, this feels like Iron Man and made the, I, I, I too loved the Avengers game. I thought the single player was great. Uh, I think Kamala Khan was actually incredibly done in that game and the story was incredibly done. But playing as Iron Man after playing Anthem was like, this feels okay. It doesn't feel great in the same way that, like you said, Captain America, when I ricochet Captain America's shield off of eight enemies and then it comes back to me, that always feels much better than literally anything you could do with Iron Man. But a single player focused game, I think could do a lot. Like I loved the Guardians of the Galaxy game because it was single player and I liked the way, like the combat has been said to death is not great, but it was serviceable, but the story and everything else was really great. 
And I think what a lot of these comic book characters do well is have these great and engaging stories. I'm curious what kind of story you tell with Iron Man now, especially considering we've had all the movies, we've had the new cartoon, we've had like all the... Yeah, he was kind of like the central theme of that. One of the central like themes of that arc was just him, you know, his his rise of invention and, and becoming the superhero and kind of you see that whole arc kind of end with him. Yeah. And it's like... I feel satisfied with that that yeah. whole arc, you know. Like, I'm I'm kind of Iron Man'd out. Um, I think that whole arc was also part of my my exhaustion with MCU. Like, it was a really good arc, but it just took so long, and there were so many movies and comic books and you know TV shows related to. It. I'm like, okay, I'm good. The one thing that gets me excited about this is the movement aspect of it. I love I love interesting movement in games, and I think Iron Man is like ripe for for something fun there like uh i will i will tolerate even if maybe i don't resonate with the story maybe if that's a part that i'm kind of exhausted on the if the traversal is fun playing as as iron man having that fantasy realized of just being this flying robot dude with rocket boots if that is fun in the moment then that can carry uh, a lot of the experience for me personally. I mean, I think the strength is going to be what Guardians did, right? Like Guardians, in my opinion, the Guardians, video game Guardians are the best versions of those characters. Only second to the com- some of the comics. But like, I'm tired of the movie versions. We all know how we all feel about Chris Pratt at this point. And so like, the the digital versions of them, I think were done really well because they leaned into doing something different with these characters and making them their own. And I think if we get an Iron Man game where they're trying to do the Robert Downey Jr. thing, make him snarky in the same way uh, RDJ was, it's going to get tired. But if they make it an original story and kind of do uh, like focus on different parts of the character, the story could be interesting too. But I agree with you. I think the thing that's going to make people want to play this game is to feel good to fly, feel good to shoot, and feel good to punch. If you can do all of that stuff in the suit, I think everything else is just going to be gravy. Well, to your yeah. your to your point there, I mean, I think that it's going to be very difficult for them to do anything that deviates from Robert Downey Jr.'s portrayal, just because that is that for most people uh, that aren't like diehard comic readers, that was their introduction to that character, and that I mean, it's become such a mainstream. It's it's maybe one of the most recognizable characters on the planet right now of any medium. Like, you know, it's like he's about as beloved as, I mean, not maybe not quite as beloved as Spider-Man is now, but like, you it's know, he, he's up there. Like, that that's, he's the linchpin of the MCU's Infinity Saga. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, without Iron Man, I don't, I, and Robert Downey Jr.'s portrayal, I don't know that we have the world's largest entertainment franchise currently running. And uh, but to, to that point about like doing something different with the character, I did have some quotes here from both Marvel and uh, Olivier Prohl, uh, who was the executive producer I was talking about before. So uh, Bill Roseman of Marvel Games said, we're thrilled to collaborate with the team at Motive Studio to bring their original vision of one of Marvel's most important, powerful and beloved characters. Their experience delivering both established entertainment worlds and thrilling gameplay combined with their authentic passion for the armored icon will fuel our quest to deliver a love letter to a legendary hero in the form of the ultimate Iron Man game. Now, that's all PR speak. And I I have a feeling a lot of this stuff is, because it's very canned answers and responses here. But the other one from Prol makes it seem like they are getting a pretty long leash. They said, it's an honor and a privilege to have the opportunity to make a video game based on one of the most iconic superheroes in entertainment today. We have a great opportunity to create a new and unique story that we can call our own. Marvel is encouraging us to create something fresh. We have a lot of freedom, which is so engaging for the team. So that's that's optimistic there for yeah. 
what you're saying, Matt, which yeah. is like we want something that is not just, hey, this is a, a look and sound alike of Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. yeah. And I think as part of our, our cover conversations on Guardians, I remember uh, the creative director was talking a lot about the, the the freedoms that they got with with Guardians. And it sounds like that is that's a that's cool that that Marvel Games attitude is kind of carrying over to, you know, because Guardians is like one of those properties that I think you can do a lot of fun interpretations of. Um, whereas, you know, more mainstay characters in the MCU, like Iron Man, you would think like, oh, you can't really touch him that much. But to hear that they're allowing that to happen is is definitely heartening, I'll say. I think that proves out as well if uh, what Amy Hennig and new, uh, or Skydance New Media are saying, like they're getting to do a Captain America uh, game that is him before he was like really trained as a leader and as like a combatant and he's just kind of still learning the ropes of what it means to be a super soldier and then yeah. he's working with T'Challa's grandfather it's not even like a, it's not T'Challa Black Panther it's Azuri Black Panther who is T'Challa's grandfather in that so it's like and it's a World War Two espionage story. So it's yeah. like Marvel... that sounds so cool. It, it really does. does sound awesome. <laughs> so Marvel seems to be giving like these talented creators a lot of uh, leeway and license. And I'm hoping that this is closer to what we got with Insomniac Spider-Man than it, right. than what we're, we've been getting recently with other Marvel games, whether that be console or uh, mobile. Yeah, I mean, if you For look sure. at Midnight Suns and both Spider-Man games, even those also were given a lot of leeway. I mean, I've said before that the the both Spider-Man games that came out uh, are some of the best Spider-Man stories I think ever told. They were just done so well. And yeah. so I think as long as they give that kind of creative freedom to this Iron Man game, even if you're kind of tired of Iron Man, if it's got a cool twist or a new take or something original, it'll at least feel better. So let me ask you this. As somebody who is a fellow MCU lover... Would you want a connected universe in the game's realm? Because, like, you know, it seemed like a lot of people when they announced Marvel's Avengers, before we knew, like, what it would ultimately become, everybody was like, oh, okay, well, this doesn't have Spider-Man. Maybe it'll connect to Insomniac Spider-Man universe in some way. Now that we're getting kind of, like, these individual games, like, it seems like the Skydance one is going to be Captain America and Black Panther back in, in World War II. This is going to be an Iron Man game seemingly in modern day. Do, would you want to see all these characters cross over at some point in the future? As cool as the MCU has become and all of the nods to other stuff, which I do love, there's something freeing about the success stories from DC, which are fewer and far between, but being their own thing and being able to exist on their own. And I think as much as it would be cool to have them connected, I think I would rather specific examples, like obviously the Insomniac Wolverine game that we haven't seen much on yet is going to connect to those Spider-Man games in some way, I'm pretty sure, right? Because it's the same team making or similar teams making those games. But I don't know that I want it to stretch across all the games. It just it becomes exhausting, and I want to be able to play these things as one-offs as well as connected. And also the lore goes so far that I'd rather have a cameo of a character from another game that's its own version in that game than the exact character. Like, is it a shame when Spider-Man shows up in Avengers and it's not Yuri Lowenthal, who I love dearly? Sure. Like, because I love Yuri's portrayal of Peter Parker slash Spider-Man. But the fact that they gave another voice actor a shot in the Avengers version, it's a different character. It's not trying to be connected. I think works great, too. Like, I'm, I, I'm of... I don't mind either, but I think I like them kind of being a little siloed and having the freedom to do really their own thing without worrying about canon or guest stars or whatever else. Yeah, and I'll I'll add my last thing. Unrelated to Marvel, but Disney, Star Wars, the reason I, I kind of got tired of a lot of the fandom and, and just 
of the last you know trilogy and also i was kind of like hot and cold on, on those releases but i think that's why i liked uh things like rogue one and the mandalorian so much i love those. like those are probably my at this point maybe my two favorite star wars things is mando and rogue one um and i think it was because there was so much separation from what was happening in the mainstream like yeah sure they're still part of the same universe but they're just like so distant and kind of have that space to be different um you know shot differently just like different tone and styles and i feel like when you're so close to you know the big thing it's harder for those little thing those little stories to kind of shine whereas with some space no pun intended uh they can really kind of carve out their own identity within the larger ip so now so i I agree with you in one sense that it does give them more freedom i the thing that i would want i wouldn't want it to be like all right well these are all like you know we had like four spider-man games now we've had two iron man games now and then like two captain america i wouldn't want that all to culminate in like a new marvel ultimate alliance game with all those characters i wouldn't want that what i would want would be like you know all those easter eggs that you see in the spider-man game like you know you swing by there's avengers tower there's the there's uh the sanctum sanctorum and then there's like you know the wakandan embassy all those things like maybe you see like that version of black panther or t'challa's like or something you know like uh, that's the type of i would just want it to be like a a quick cameo quick like something i like that or like maybe like a reference to something that happened like oh yeah that's when like i forgot like here's a monument to when iron man fought this guy in the iron man game but like that's it i don't want it to be like all right uh like kind of quickly accumulating all the baggage that the skywalker saga has to use your example alex where it's like we just are so handcuffed by this that like by the time we get to rise of skywalker it's like all right we just have these impossible expectations all these storylines we have to close different directors different studios it's it's yeah. just a mess by the time we get to the conclusion of that i don't want that what i want is just maybe a passing reference that hints at some interconnectivity and uh you know maybe one of them references something that happened if like you know the iron man game also has a scene in new york that involves a big battle maybe spider-man will reference it in the next game and that's it like, i like that a lot yeah i think that's a great idea yeah i like that a lot well Let's move on uh, from news into topic of the week. Man, uh, so this weekend, uh, there were massive, massive Grand Theft Auto 6 leaks. Unprecedented for Rockstar. Very rare to see a leak of this capacity in games, period. Uh, over, over, I think, 90 video clips were, were released. Uh, there was talk of uh, source code being acquired by the, the hacker and they were, you know, threatening to hold that over Rockstar for ransom. Um, th- there was a lot that happened, so we're gonna we're gonna kind of start from the top. Uh, I'm gonna I'm I'm reading from um, Kotaku. They've got a great story, kind of summarizing what happened over the weekend. I'll link it in the show notes if you'd like to read along while we go through it. Uh, but this was written by Luke Plunkett. Uh, headline reads: This massive possible Grand Theft Auto Six leak sure is looking legit. Uh, it was updated later uh, as as Rockstar has confirmed the videos are real. So a user on GTA forums 
who claims to have been behind the recent hack of Uber, has just dumped nearly 100 videos online claiming to show development footage of Rockstar's Grand Theft Auto 6, which are currently circulating across pretty much every social media platform, matching much of what Bloomberg uh, reported earlier this year, including that the game will co-star a woman and be set in Vice City. The videos are very much in development footage with unfinished textures and models all over the place and code playing out in real time across many of them. And to, to pause for a moment, in a lot of the videos, there's particularly a, uh, I watched several of them on YouTube. There's particularly like a, um, a robbery that happens in a fast food restaurant, like a diner sort of situation. And you can see all of the, it's kind of showing off the um, GTA 6 is going to have hostage or interrogation style, like, or you can like hold people up. And, like, you know, have them give you money and stuff. And you could see, like, the lines of, like, code commit, like, scripts playing. Like, you would see, like, um, animation, open cash register equals true or whatever. As that's what they're kind of talking about here. Uh, back to the article. The leaker is currently taking requests, asking people what else they'd like to see and more videos. In uh, one, a white male player character encounters a racist NPC by poolside. And as the conversation transpires, you can see the code required for the interaction playing out alongside the in-game action. And another, the woman character, I'm only specifying it like this because it would be a series first, explores one of the series' infamous strip clubs. Uh, and even like in that video, like you're seeing the the models very much look like action figures. Like they have, they are they are rigged to. They pretty much look like pieces of plastic walking around because they've got their. Their armatures animated, but they don't have any of the, you know, the finished goods. They don't have yeah. like faces or it's it's very much in production assets. And yeah, there's 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 other videos showcasing um, passenger shooting mechanics. But I'm gonna I'm gonna go down a little bit further in the article. One of the more complete videos uploaded shows both characters partnering up to rob a diner, holding the patrons up at gunpoint before the police arrive. Others are in rougher shape and feature little more than a featureless placeholder character moving around an empty landscape, acting out uh, combat animations like taking cover. There's certainly certainly a lot of footage and faking both the action and the code run at the same time. Would be a lot of work for the internet prank. This is not really relevant because it's been confirmed to, re to be real. But over the weekend, GTA leaker was Teapot uh, Uber Hacker. Uh, they said in this post on GTA forums, Hi, here are 90 footage slash clips from GTA 6. It's possible I could leak more data soon. GTA 5 and 6 source code and assets. GTA 6 testing build. Uh, my telegram is, and then they listed their telegram uh, for any questions. And then they updated their forum post a couple days later saying, okay, so this has gone unexpectedly viral. What does he mean unexpectedly viral? It's like the most <laughs> yeah. anticipated game in 10 years. Yeah. This has gone unexpectedly viral. Woke up to 3,000 telegram DMs. If you are an employee of Rockstar or Take-Two and, and you're trying to contact me, send me a message containing this string of numbers on Telegram, or you can email me from your corporate email address. I will try to read all these as soon as I reply. I am looking to negotiate a deal. Jeez. Uh, it sounds like looking to negotiate a lawsuit. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know what he... Like, what are you thinking, dude? Like, uh, And so there was, a lot of, there was a lot of chatter and people were like, if this guy has the GTA 5 source code and that gets out there into the wrong hands, it can really kind of make GTA 5 unplayable now because of hackers. Like, that would just be, like, 
a paradise for hackers having source code. Um, I mean, yeah, it would be a, a true game ending situation if they did. Yeah, that. yeah, and that sucks because that's the biggest game running right now. Like GTA Online continues to be extremely popular. Yeah, and uh, so Rockstar responded to the situation September nineteenth, yesterday morning, eight a.m. Uh, they posted on Twitter uh, saying, we recently suffered a network intrusion in which an unauthorized third party illegally accessed and downloaded confidential information from our systems, including early development footage for the next Grand Theft Auto. At this time, we do not anticipate any disruption to our live game services, nor any long-term effect on the development of our ongoing projects. We are extremely disappointed to have any details of our next game shared with you in this way. Our work on the next Grand Theft Auto game will continue as planned, and we remain as committed as ever to delivering an experience to you, our players, that truly exceeds your expectations. We will update everyone again soon, and of course, we'll properly introduce you to this next game when it is ready. We want to thank everyone for their ongoing support through this situation. Signed, the Rockstar Games team. So, yeah, Shay, what's your what's your take on this? Kind of wild, right? Yeah, it it really is pretty unprecedented. I mean, there's been hacks and leaks all the time in gaming. Like, I feel like we hear about the next Assassin's Creed game two years before every single one of them comes out. So it's it's nothing new that we get something leaked or or even hacked for that matter. But the fact that it's this level where we're getting in development video and we're getting, uh, you know, just a very clearly in mid production gameplay footage that was not ever intended to see the light of day outside of the development team that is pretty substantial especially for a game that we haven't seen really anything of yet like we've gotten the announcement of it and now we're getting all of this this footage and everything and it's 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 upsetting honestly because like this is not the way that rockstar wanted to see it it's fascinating from so many different perspectives but it's also very disappointing when you think about how this could affect people's livelihoods as well like you i i have another podcast that's not affiliated with game informer and we my co-host brought up the fact that like you know there's maybe talks that this is something that's gonna make it so like when developers start thinking like oh like developer like the heads of development studios start thinking about like all right what do we want to do a hybrid work environment do we want to do a remote work environment this might be a a thing in the column of uh the the checkbox against having a hybrid or remote work environment because it's just more difficult to secure stuff if you're sharing it outside of your office right if you're on a private network it's a lot easier to share stuff in a secure fashion but if you're sharing stuff over Slack, which is this, I believe this is that that's what they alleged uh, was the the source of the leak was was through the person infiltrating the team's Slack yeah, channels. It was. That's something that is primarily used for remote work environments, and that's going to really suck if that ends up being one of the main catalysts for a lot of these studios taking people back into the office when you know everything has been largely shown to be fine when we work remote but like this is something that might be used as ammunition against that and that that it really sucks yeah i mean i think there's also more secure remote tools for that than slack like slack's just kind of like oh yeah i mean it's pretty much discord but still yeah I, that's a very good point and it might especially affect like in the immediate term rockstar developers you know oh yeah I think they will probably have a lot of uh, kind of logistical meetings this week and tightening up. I, I bet I bet this changes a lot for them uh, internally as far as, you know, not not the game's development, but the 
the you know the logistics surrounding all of it so um yeah it's 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 kind of wild um the fact that this this leaker this hacker was putting it up for uh, you know the fact that he was like oh i'm i want to negotiate a deal like i don't i don't know what you're expecting to get out of this like this is so illegal and i i kind of wonder like if they if they did pay him uh cuz they say in their in their update uh they don't anticipate any any issues with their live service games so either they threatened him and he got scared and I, I, that just seems if only grand theft auto and red dead redemption brought in any money they might be able I to know. afford a, a decent <laughs> lawyer yeah yeah i, know. I mean god That's i can't even imagine the kinds of lawyers that 2k and and take two could have at their disposal for something like this like you know they grand theft auto isn't that the highest grossing entertainment product of all time I know that Pokemon is the highest grossing entertainment franchise of all time, but isn't isn't Grand Theft Auto V specifically, doesn't that hold the, the record for the most money made by any single entertainment product? I think you're right, yeah. Yeah, that is, uh, that, that, that buys some lawyers. Yeah. I will, I will say, like, the, the game looks cool, man. It I, I was, you know, definitely curious. I went and looked on YouTube and watched them. I'm not going to link them in any of our content um, just because... You know, I don't want to be a part of that. We're more so covering what happened um, than kind of spreading the the information. But it looks good. I was really impressed by like even this very early production um, assets. And these were dated to be, uh, I think, 2019 and 2020. That's how far back some of these assets, uh, these videos were dated. So, you know, that's been, you know, almost three years from now. And a lot can change at that time. But uh, even then, I was kind of like, oh, like you can kind of see the the detail uh, in the animations and the the character models, like p- particularly the protagonists and how it just this seems like it's going to be such a huge step up for them. But um, yeah, so it's a, a lot of the a lot of the reports from earlier in the year. Bloomberg reported it is Vice Vice City. People were going through like text strings and finding all sorts of fun like references to Florida. And like, there's going to be a bigger focus on the animals of Florida. Kotaku had a really great, another really great write-up. I'll be sure to link that. And it seems like they're really bringing a lot of the things they learned in Red Dead 2 over to GTA 6 in some cool ways. But yeah, this was just, it was wild. Matt, did you, were you paying attention to this over the weekend? I mean, I heard murmurings of it. I didn't follow it super closely like you uh, today. I spent some time uh, just like doing some research and looking it up. I mean, it's a bummer because uh, like to what, uh, Brian was saying like it, it shows the best and worst of our community the things like this right like the the hacker I want money for this you know or contact me like I don't know like it just seems so despicable like if you love these games and you love playing them why would you do something like this and then of course we know how reasonable and moderated the broader game community is too so like it's just it's a lot I mean but on the other side like what if we knew more about this process what if there were more documentaries and more looks inside and seeing things in development like a lot of people saying this game looks terrible when they're seeing in development screenshots and videos like you know these things have to be made right like it takes time there are stages and like I think it's fascinating like I agree with you Alex that like seeing it is really cool like that remember that Nintendo leak that happened a while back where we saw assets of like old Yoshi and things like we would have never seen if the leak didn't happen really cool to see from an archivist perspective really terrible to see from a like security and wanting to protect your your IPs or whatever and so it's complicated I I think that ultimately it's a bummer that this team who's working super hard and we know how hard 
the teams of some of the most successful games work to then have what they're working on be seen before they're ready. I mean, Alex, I know you make music and I've done tons of different artistic endeavors. When someone gets a hands on, like if someone gets a hand on your song before you're done, like they may have kind things to say, they may not, and you're not ready to share it. And nothing's worse than art of yours getting out before you're ready because you're not, you don't have your confidence behind it. You don't have your final thoughts behind it. It may not be ready. It may, there may be complications, whatever. And like, it just sucks for something artistic to get out before the people making it want it to. It's, it's your product. You should be and your project. You should be able to share it at your leisure. Not when some hacker decides, Hey, I'm going to share this information because I don't give a crap about people's personal endeavors and investment in these projects and things. Yeah. Pandas with bombs actually wrote in with a, with a question about this, uh, Pandas asked, uh, what do you guys think of big leaks as journalists and as gamers? Were you excited to see the leak or disappointed that someone ruined the announcement? And I'll kind of share my thoughts real quick. I think I think leaks like this don't really serve a huge purpose for the general audience. I think I think they're as a job as a journalist, it's complicated. Like this is you definitely don't want to serve as the marketing arm for a publisher. You are like, you want to be respectful and kind of uh, journalism is all a lot about relationships and, and that sort of thing. And sometimes you are sitting on information for a while before it's out. And sometimes depending on the circumstance and the situation, you might find yourself thinking it is a helpful or a good thing to release that information early. Um, and, and other times there really is no functional purpose to share that information other than saying, Hey, look, I, I know this inform I knew this information before you cause I'm, I'm cool. Right. And this is definitely in that, that latter thing where it's like, there's really no purpose here. Like there's plenty of journalists in the industry that know secrets and you're not really doing anybody anything by, by releasing that. Like, okay, so we know that there's another Grand Theft Auto. We know that they're working on it. Uh, cool. But I think it does a lot more damage to, you know, those people that you are trying to cultivate relationships with. And just as, like, not being a journalist, just as a person, I very much empathize with what you were saying, Matt. Like, that really sucks for you guys. And so as a person, I empathize. Um, if I'm, like, looking at it as, like, you know, a reporter or a journalist, it's like, okay, that's that uh, uh that sucks for you guys in the subjective but like i don't know it's it's information that's out there now i guess but i feel like i would rather something like this happen well number one the ransom thing that's that's totally gross like yeah obviously like that is not the way to do it this is in no shape no way shape or form the way to do it i think if you were a journalist sitting on that kind of footage um i think you know waiting till the game came out um, would be more appropriate in my eyes and add more context to the that kind of footage. Also, obtaining it in illegal manners is oh, definitely yeah. is that is, again, this is not the way to do it. But if, if you have sources or you came about it, that information in a legal way um, that you wanted to share, you know, I think that is valuable. Kind of what you're talking about, Matt, with you know, this archival like here's the process of making games, and a lot of these publishers will never show that kind of stuff because you know, the reception that it might get them from their, their fans. Like, oh, well, they this is clearly, you know, it looks bad because it's early. But I think that kind of stuff is valuable as, you know, somebody who covers the industry and as a fan of games. So it's kind of like that tug of war, right? Like, okay, well, the publisher is really locked down, probably more so than they need to be. I am 
you know, trying to get more information. It's just a constant dance, right? But you have to do it respectfully. You have to do it legally. And this is just not the way to do it at all. Um, I don't know if I rambled a bunch of it. That's kind of my thoughts on it. How about you, Shay? No, you, you hit it mostly. Like, I think that, you know, it's there's ethics involved as a journalist if you yeah. were to obtain it. And this is definitely not an ethical way to obtain that information. Yeah. Uh, again, sources are definitely going to be paramount to hacking into a company's servers and stealing it that's not the ethical way as a like a journalist would obtain that information it you're, it goes back to what matt was saying as an archivist as somebody who is interested in like kind of the the history of these games and how they evolve it is fascinating but you just hate to see it happen to people who are creating art and it's not even finished yet. we don't even know how this game turns out yet so it's like yeah yeah it sucks to have this be our first impression of this game. Like that's the other thing is this is our first impression. It's not like you have seen this and you're like, Oh my God, this looks amazing. And then all this stuff from three years ago comes out and then we're like, Oh, it didn't look good back then though, but we've seen what it looks like now. No, this was our first look at it. And that, that, that sucks to get that. I will give credit to, uh, Sony Santa Monica. I don't know if you remember this, but shortly after God of war 2018 came out, they released a, kind of a highlight reel of the glitches that they encountered while they were developing the game and it was just hilarious to see certain glitches like uh i I, somehow like atreus's head got latched onto kratos's body and it just looked like super weird and like (laughs) kratos died and he just started spinning uncontrollably on the ground (laughs) uh so stuff like that is really fascinating to see but like it's also curated by the developer in a way that's like hey look like this is some of the the mess ups that we had along the way and to have that just kind of thrown out there by a third party that just has no regard for the work that the team is putting in is just really kind of disappointing and yeah you hate to see it from like a human and a a gamer perspective of like oh this is like something that these people are working really hard on and now it's just out there with with no because i mean even in the lead up to launch like putting together a trailer is a huge undertaking even putting together like screenshots like i don't think people realize how much work a developer or publisher puts into making official screenshots and official video footage and official releases i mean alex you and i deal with that all the time whenever we're doing like a a cover story we have to all right we want like we want footage that we can share with our community for this cover story and we usually get pushback from publishers like, oh, that's a lot of that's a lot of work to put out like 10 minutes of footage. And it's like, oh, well, why would it take longer than 10 minutes? Like that's like kind of your instant reaction. But like once you like realize like how much red tape is involved with putting out official assets from a, a big AAA title, then you start to understand like why this really is damaging to the studio. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, I just I was. I was fascinated with this by, by over the weekend. Um, there's a lot of, if you want to go and look it up yourself, you can, I mean, they will never be able to take down all of those videos. Like it, it just spread like wildfire and it's everywhere now and, and props to them for, for, you know, confirming it and, you know, and speaking to the fact that, um, you know, this isn't going to change anything for us. You know, you're going to have to, you're still going to have to wait. Like, uh, I think they did the right thing by sticking to their guns and just saying, we're going to prove it to you that it's going to be good. Also, if you know anything about games, you know that what game development entails. And so people that are saying this looks so bad or or whatever, just really kind of, it's silly. You're kind of telling on yourself that you're ignorant to the whole process. But yeah, 
that's kind of everything surrounding the GTA six leaks. Uh, I I'd recommend going to check out. I, there was a really great article, I believe on, um, uh, I mean, really Polygon, Bloomberg, Kotaku, they had all great ones. There was one in particular, um, another one I'll link in the show notes that was just talking about how like the, the studio's culture, how it's changed seemingly like reports have said that they are kind of, uh, really more so prioritizing employees health than in past development cycles and how it's kind of affecting, uh, the development of the game and the timeline of the game. So that's really cool to read, but, uh, but yeah, by the way. Yeah. Uh, headline that just came across my feed on Eurogamer. Uh, the hacker who claimed responsibility for this weekend's enormous leak of Grand Theft Auto 6 material is now being investigated by the FBI. Oh. Oh, right. Uh, <laughs> well, then. So, I mean, there's a whole article I, on Eurogamer. I'm looking right to now. negotiate a deal. <laughs> yeah. He's going to be saying that a lot now. Yeah, yeah, in prison. Wow. That. What a great, what great timing for that to come out. Uh, thanks, Shay. Well, let's take a quick break, and then we're going to come back uh, for the playlist. We're going to be talking about Splatoon 3, Tim Tim, maybe a little bit of Metal Hellsinger. We'll be right back right after this. Welcome back, everybody, to the Game Informer Show. Welcome to the playlist. This is the part of the show where we talk about the games that we've been playing this week. We're going to start it off with Splatoon 3. It's been out for, what, about a week and a half now. We haven't gotten to talk about it on this show yet. I've been playing it. My wife has been playing it. Matt's been playing it. Everybody here has been playing it, and it's really good. Uh, would we give it, what would you score it, Shay? I gave it an 8.5 out of 10. Awesome. I agree with that score. It's a very good game. But yeah, Matt, do you want to kind of talk about your time with Splatoon 3 so far? You were, weren't you interviewed on NPR recently about it? Yeah, uh, a written article by Josh Broadwell. Uh, yeah, I was interviewed, um, me and a few other like indie creators and streamers, folks who were really tied close to the Splatoon franchise. Um, he was looking for folks to talk about different levels of experience. People who've been with it since the first game since the second game and brand new players. And I'm in the right in the middle sweet spot. I didn't have it for the Wii U because I didn't have a Wii U like many other people. Um, yeah, I didn't either. <laughs> but when Splatoon 2 came out, uh, two of my very close friends were obsessed with it. And I tell a story in this article where at the time um, I was between jobs and I just, I couldn't really play, but both of my friends hadn't really wanted to play it. And so behind my back with my spouse's help, uh, one of my friends took my Switch and put their card on it and bought me the game without telling me oh, and that's then nice. downloaded yeah. it and then the three of us played it the whole weekend and it was a blast and I had so much fun and so I've been into the franchise ever since um, that article uh, came out on the 19th of September so if you want to go check that out it was pretty neat to be in an article on yeah. NPR that's a that's a first for me but uh but yeah no I love the game I I'm someone I mean Alex knows this because we've been playing a lot of shooters together over the course of quarantine I would say I'm not great at twitchy competitive shooters. Uh, thanks to the incredible coaching of uh, previous guests of this show, Jesse Vitelli, and yourself and some others, I got okay at Valorant. I will say I yeah. was eventually okay at that game. And stuff like Overwatch and other things I play with y'all, and you're all very patient as I try and learn mechanics and stuff. And I, <laughs> and I have fun playing them, but there was something about Splatoon where it was about the ground coverage and not killing other, or killing, finger quotes, defeating other uh, squid kids that made the game click more with me. I love the fact that it's it's territory control. 
aim isn't needed if you're using something like the rollers or some of the larger or yeah. slower weapons. And since I am not great at aiming, like those less precise weapons make the game more fun, um, especially the new specials in the third game add a lot more kind of area control and random fun. And I think that what's great about Splatoon 3 is that it just improves on the second game in almost every single way. It is not a perfect game, but it is as close to a perfect version of Splatoon that will get on this hardware. And for sure, like between the faster load times, the easier to play multiplayer, the, you know, um, Salmon Run being all the time instead of scheduled. Oh, yeah. As a fan of Salmon Run, like I was like, oh, thank God, I can just play this whenever the hell I want. Like all of those kinds of improvements just made this a better version. It even looks nicer. I mean, I'm playing it on the OLED, uh, which makes oh, every yeah. Switch game look nice. But I went back to play Splatoon 2 recently just to finish the story mode. I never did. And like just looking at those games, games side by side, it's a vast improvement graphically on the same hardware, which is not easy to do. And I don't know if it's just better shaders or whatever, but like it was just really fun to jump into this game that feels bright and shiny in a way that the previous game also was very good, but this is just better. Yeah, I really enjoy, you know, you kind of spoke to, we play a lot of shooters and me specifically, I play a lot of competitive shooters and they they are they can be frustrating sometimes <laughs> so it's nice to be able to just and splatoon 3 can be frustrating at times but it is the environment that it all takes place in is so colorful and vibrant and and quick uh that it's it's more so focused on just having fun right like you look at splatoon you look at the characters it's like okay this is not meant to be this you know hugely competitive thing i can kind of turn my brain off a bit or at least turn it down a level <laughs> and just, you know, relax and shoot some paint around. And actually this is one of two games that my wife has ever really gotten into on the switch. The first one was animal crossing during quarantine. That's when I bought her a switch. And then now a Splatoon. Uh, unfortunately I don't have two copies, so we don't, we haven't been playing uh, salmon run together, but uh, I'll get home and she'll be on my switch playing and just like, She's gotten pretty good at it, too. Uh, like, motion controls, they aren't really for me, but I can't deny how great they are for, like, introducing somebody to shooter games uh, who don't have those that dexterity or those mechanics down for, you know, managing multiple sticks for your cameras. And it's just like, oh, okay, you can just rotate the Switch or rotate the Pro Controller, and you're kind of getting somewhere. And it was really, it's been really fascinating to see her, you know, in a week and a half time go from barely being able to like you know figure out the game's basics to like she is now like number one on our team like almost every game like Amazing. just Love dominating that. and having so much fun and that has made me enjoy the game more you know my wife doesn't play many games it's i definitely am not like a, a weirdo who tries to force that on her but i do appreciate when she finds joy in something i enjoy right um and so seeing her enjoy splatoon 3 makes me enjoy splatoon 3 more and I've just been sitting. I'm in my office right now. Podcast listeners can't can't see it, but uh, you know the, the, the other guys can. And it's just like I have this bed behind me. This is our office. I sit on the bed. She sits in my podcasting seat and plays Splatoon, and I just sit behind her and watch. And uh, it's it's just a lot of fun. I've I've really enjoyed it. And it's kind of was it's been a surprise that I it's been a surprise. I just I wasn't expecting to like it so much. And yeah, shout out to the uh, the precision roller. I really like that that specific one or the carbon fiber roller rather Shay, how, how are you enjoying splatoon 
I am mostly playing uh, the Turf Wars still. Like, that's always going to be my, my go-to mode. Yeah. Before yeah. launch, the, the bulk of my time went to playing the single-player mode, which I will always defend. I always think that the single-player modes in Splatoon Agreed. are vastly underrated. Even Nintendo underrates it by pitching it in their, like, Splatoon trailers as, like, hey, it's a great way to get to know how to play Splatoon, which just makes it seem like a glamorized tutorial. It is so much more than that. It's it's exciting level design. It's fun puzzles. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, entertaining uh, encounters with enemies and like fun boss battles. The boss battles are are, I think they're a step back in this game from Splatoon two, but I do think the boss battles are still a lot of fun in Splatoon 3's, uh single player story mode. It almost has that like level of creativity that Nintendo has always brought with like Mario games. Where it's just like they give you that it scratches that itch. It's I mean it's very different gameplay. Don't get me wrong. It's not it's not like a whole lot of platforming, but like it's almost like inverse Mario Sunshine type of puzzles sure, and, and yeah. encounters. Because instead of cleaning up a mess, you're making a mess, but you still have like similar aiming mechanics. But it also gives you like different weapons and different loadouts. It's like you get additional rewards if you try it with a, a weapon that's a little bit more challenging for that uh for that particular mission. And, you know, you can make it all the way to the end and mainline it basically by just doing like the bare minimum to clear out the fuzzy stuff, the fuzzy slime stuff that is like blocking your path. Or you can go and scour every single corner of that hub world and get all of the collectibles and all the cosmetics and all the other bonus items that you can get in there and learn all about the story of like this post apocalypse that Splatoon takes place in. Yeah. And it's, it's a really good time. I, I saw it all the way, all the way through the end and I'm glad that I did. And then, but like, you know, salmon run being available 24 seven is such a huge boon to that mode. I, I gave up on salmon run in Splatoon two, just because I would, after the review period, when like, it was something that, you know, when, when you get a multiplayer game, for review before launch we always have to make kind of these appointments to play the multiplayer because otherwise there's no players online but when i'm in like a live game environment the game is out there's clearly thousands upon thousands of people online at any given moment i don't want to have to be like oh at 6 p.m i can play salmon run it's like no i if i happen to get off work early or like you know maybe i'm up late it's like oh well salmon runs not available until you know for another four hours it's like well I don't even make like appointments to watch TV shows that I want to watch these days. Like, or it's like yeah. rare that I'll do that. Like, it's it, it has to be like a live sporting thing that I really make an appointment to watch any kind of of television program. But like, or like a show that I'm obsessed with, like the Game of Thrones finale. I was like, all right, well, I'm gonna have to make a, an appointment to watch this. Or like, I, I don't know. Like, we're so conditioned to just watch something when it goes on Netflix or on when demand. it goes on Hulu, yeah. like whenever we want. So also just like video games, like multiplayer games, like we are conditioned to be able to nobody logs into Halo 2 or Halo Infinite rather and arenas turned off. Exactly. You go to Halo 2 to play the the, whatever mode you want to play. It almost feels like Nintendo was not confident in Salmon Run attracting a large enough player base to populate it 24 hours a day with Splatoon 2. So that's why they were kind of trying to like bottleneck everyone into being in that mode at the same time. And what they did, I think, was they turned everybody off from the mode because every time I turned on the game, that damn mode was just not available. So I was like, all right, well, I'm just going to gravitate towards story uh, story mode and then the uh, the uh, turf wars or like just what are the yeah. competitive multiplayer is. Which, by the way, 
this weekend, something we haven't mentioned yet, is the first post-launch Splatfest. So we had the, the Splatfest world premiere, which was before Splatoon 3 came out. This is the first one that's like since the game has been released. So I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, we actually had a, uh, a one of our listeners. Somebody was asking uh, what which you know teams we were going to pick this weekend. Oh, jeez, the, the Splatfest. And I don't. I'm not sure which um, which ones are coming out. I'm trying to look. It's it's what what would you bring on a deserted island? Gear, grub, or fun? Ooh, I think I'm going to go fun. I mean, I have to go fun because Big Man, they always split the three of the deep cut to the different teams. And Big Man, my favorite character in the new game, support and fun. And so I got to support fun. Also, realistically, like, I don't want to bring gear. I'm not like, that's going to be someone else's job on a desert island to, <laughs> to get the food and make sure we can survive. I'm going to bring the fun. We're all going to hang out and have a good time. It was Rogue Leader 76 in Discord, by the way. Hi, GI crew. Anyone playing in the Splatfest this weekend? What team are you joining? I'm, I'm going to be different from y'all. Because everybody knows that camping is just about <laughs> sitting around a campfire and eating food. That's mm-hmm. true. And, you know, going to the lake and eating food, going on a boat and eating food. Like, it's, it all revolves around snacks. Snacks, food, and, just, and beverages. Just in, the, in, in less convenient locations. Exactly. <laughs> but, yeah, I'll, I'm so – I never really – I don't think I've participated in a Splatfest. I've always seen them – on social media like people talking about them i've never played one myself so i think it would be really funny if they just went off the rails with one of the things like what are you bringing to a deserted island gear grub hardcore drugs (laughs) (laughs) yeah unlikely to see that in a nintendo game but it would be fun would definitely make political party what prime who are you voting for in the primaries (laughs) oh my god (laughs) (laughs) well that'll do it for the splatoon talk i want to talk about tim tim because that is a game that just came out and hit 1.0. If you're unfamiliar, it's the first creature collector to really kind of give Nintendo a, a real run for its money. Or the Pokemon company, rather. Eh, um, I, I think that's overstating it. I mean, it's, what? it's a, in terms of it being a good game, yes. But in terms of it selling, like... Get the hell no, out I here. don't mean in that way, but I mean the, the, the <laughs> format of it. Like, yeah, yeah. It's the it's design the, of it. It's the first one that really feels like a competent... In terms of, like, I mean, maybe it's a slightly lower quality than you would get with something like the Entertainment Juggernaut that is Game Freak and the Pokemon Company. But yes, it is. The format is heavily cribbed from the Pokemon franchise. Like, you know, you travel from town to town and, like, there's tall grass. You have wild encounters with monsters. Mm -hmm. You capture them if you battle them and then they are weak enough that you can throw, instead of a Pokeball, it's a Tem card, I believe. Um, Yep. And, you know, they join your team. And then you, as you battle, they level up and learn moves and evolve. Um, and then, you know, you get to a town and there's a dojo instead of a gym. And that's where you do your battles. And, yeah, it's very much the Pokemon formula. But they do evolve it, uh, no pun intended, in uh, some very unique and entertaining ways. Like the 2v2 being the default is a really interesting format, I think, for battles. Yeah. I like that, you know, 2v2 gives you a lot of new strategies that you can do. Like, I, I don't know about you, but, like, my strategy is always to just try to take one of them out so it's a, suddenly a 2v1. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, that's, like, my – and I like that you don't have to wait until both are defeated in order to catch one of them. Like, you can't – I think in a lot of Pokemon games, you have to – you can't throw a Pokeball if there are two monsters on the field. I think you have to defeat one of them, the one you don't want to catch, and then you have to – I mean, I, I think that may have been rectified. That, that seems right. 
with Legends Arceus, maybe that was rectified. But like, yeah, it, for a lot of at least the older games, I think that was the case. But for Temtem, you can just throw the Tem card whenever. And, and that, just select the one you want to throw. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's it does evolve the the formula in a lot of smart ways. And there's the the stamina system is really cool. The stamina system, absolutely, yeah. And there's there certain moves can only be used um, like that. You can't you some of, some of your bigger abilities. You have to wait later on in the the match. They have a, it's like your abilities almost have like a turn order. Like they have priorities. So like certain moves can be used in the first turn of the battle. Certain. Certain moves that are really good might not be able to be used until the fourth turn in the battle. And so you're kind of strategizing and like, okay, do I want to use all of my stamina here? And if you overuse your stamina, your Tim Tim will damage themselves and potentially KO themselves. Or do you want to, you know, click the rest button and they can recoup some of that stamina, but you're not getting damage in that turn. So it's, it's a lot, it's, it's more difficult. I think that there's more strategy to it. And I've really been enjoying it. I think one of the interesting things about Tim Tim is its character designs. Like that has always been the struggle, I think, in creature collectors is finding something that kind of competes with the quality level of Pokemon. And I don't, I don't think it's quite up to um, to that level, but it, it's it's pretty close in my opinion. You know, there's there's some really interesting and highly detailed tim tim in this game and i really like i feel like it kind of harkens back to older pokemon generations where the silhouettes of the pokemon are really um uh, distinct whereas i feel like sometimes in pokemon these days like instead of modeling you know a nose and eyes and ears on a pokemon or a face instead of modeling those as separate pieces you kind of get a a sphere with like 2d textures almost on it um so it it looks more cartoony that way whereas like older pokemon games like everything is like modeled on the characters or not in pixel art but you know what i mean and tim tim kind of follows that where like yeah this you know is a pig but all of the parts are modeled and it looks like really really cool and distinct and um the lighting's great i just i really enjoy this game it was kind of a surprise because I played it in when it first hit early access and for whatever reason just kind of fell off. Um, and it came out and I've been playing it on my steam deck as well as uh, just on steam. And I guess we should mention it's also an MMO everywhere you're running around. There are also other players and mm-hmm. it has kind of done the MMO thing where I run around in a low level area and there are like random high level people there doing their own thing. And they've got these, really wild looking Pokemon that are so intricate. And I'm like, I got to get that. Uh, And I've got like a little pig and they've got like this dragon, you know, turtle thing. And it kind of instills that, that sense of like curiosity in you and that like wonder you're like, okay, I have to, I have to keep progressing to go and find wherever that is because I want that thing. And that's, what's really great about MMOs. I think is like, Oh, that piece of armor is so cool. Or that sword or that mount Oh, what is that ability? That is so cool. Okay, I've got to keep playing to get it myself. And Tim Tim does really well by that, I think. And um, yeah, I kind of wish like some of the story stuff was like not so heavy handed, but I think that's just like a lot of a lot of games in general, and a lot of these like there's it, it explains a lot. But luckily, like once you get through the the first couple areas, it slows down, and the difficulty really does kind of seem to pick up. Yeah, I will say that that's something that this game has over the Pokemon games in spades, which is 
it is a more difficult game. Like I'm in the first route going from like kind of the hometown and like the first town you encounter that doesn't even have a dojo up to the first one that has a dojo. And like, I oh, you, by the cliffs and yeah, stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I That's lost, where I'm at. I lost a battle on that and it, it reset me back and, you know, I didn't lose any progress because I just had to like run back up the hill, which is a little bit of a, little bit of a hike, but you know, I didn't have to rebattle any of the trainers that I beat or tamers. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's a welcome change to have a little bit of difficulty. That was something that I liked about Legends Arceus was there was I didn't lose a ton of battles in that either, but a lot of them made me think about how I was going to approach them, especially the the late game stuff. This just kind of gives you that difficulty right off the bat, and I I like it. I'm actually kind of concerned about my first uh, dojo that I'm about to take on because <laughs> yeah. I'm like, all right, well, is this going to be something that is going to just absolutely destroy me? And I think that. Uh, even talking to to John Carson, former Game Informer editor, and he was he did the review for us on Freelance. He was like, "Yeah, you're gonna get destroyed in that first dojo, dude." And I'm like, "Uh oh." <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we're gonna see how this goes. I I am I've been playing some other stuff, but yeah, like every once in a while, like I, I sat in a coffee shop and just played Temtem for like an hour and a half over the weekend. It, it was just a really nice time. I'm really enjoying it a lot. Yeah, I was just one last note. I was. And Dan Tax, one of his evening Twitch streams, he's been playing Tim Tim. And he was telling me that I guess like later on, there are like uh, moves that you can sync between Pokemon. So they'll do like partner abilities and stuff or something. Or not the Pokemon, sorry, the Tim Tim. Jeez. Well, I just learned that like if you have like two fire Tim Tim on the field at the same time, they can have some synergies as well. Yeah. That's something that like the game just taught me. And then it was like, hey, check this out. And of course, I didn't have like the same types like lined up, so it beat me. That was the one that I lost. Oh so yeah, I am. Uh, I'm looking forward to learning more about like the intricacies of the battle system because it seems like there are several intricacies that kind of take it, take the Pokemon formula and expand on it in some really cool ways. That like, you know, we've seen a lot of situations where like fan games give us what we've wanted from the mainline series in like a lot of different old school franchises in particular like yeah sonic mania is a perfect example of that where it's like we were waiting for like a really good like throwback to the 2d sonic games and we just weren't getting it from sega proper and then they brought in christian whitehead and pagoda west and headcanon which were essentially just like fan game developers and they made the game with the collaboration of Sonic Team and Sega, and it was arguably the best Sonic game in 20, 25 years, right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's a, a trend that I'm really enjoying is like, all right, well, if the, the mainline games, like, you know, Pokemon, I still really enjoy the mainline Pokemon games, but there are a lot of things that fans want from those games that Game Freak just isn't delivering on, myself included. Like, I want better animations, which unfortunately Temtem does not do very well. <laughs> I want a lot of stuff that, like, Pokemon Company just isn't delivering yet. I mean, we'll see what uh, Scarlet and Violet give us with the first kind of open-world game in the in the mainline RPGs anyway. But, yeah, it's, it's nice to see Temtem expand on the formula and make it so I'm not just mashing the A button to get through battles like I do in a lot of the Pokemon games. Yeah, definitely. Well, let's get to the last game of the playlist, Metal Hellsinger. I think we got time for just a quick chat on it. Shay, uh, uh, well, Matt, have you played this game? I was going to send it to Shay. Uh, Metal Hellsinger? No, I've not had a chance to pick it up yet. I've heard some good stuff and some other folks talk about it, but I have not had a chance to play it myself. Yeah, I played the demo on the Steam Festival yeah. 
really loved what I played, and I'm, I'm really excited to dive deeper in. That's that's definitely going to be one I'm going to be finishing up before the year ends for for Goaty Talks, because I'm hearing a lot of good things about it. But, Shay, uh, how are you enjoying it? I know you're only a few hours in, right? Yeah, I'm a few hours in. Uh, it's a lot of fun. It's one of my favorite games of the year so far. Uh, think about it as Doom 2016, so like the, the modernized reboot of Doom that they did a few years ago in 2016. But you have to, you, or you don't have to, but you get increased benefits and damage from attacking to the beat of the metal song that is playing in the background. Yeah. And it is, it, at first I was like, I had to retrain my brain basically. Cause you know, I see a demon and I'm like, I have a shotgun. I'm just going to try to mash the trigger as much as I can. But like, once you start feeling the rhythm and it, it, it does it so smartly to the implementation of it, where there's like a reticule that kind of has like these arrows coming in and you can see the beat visually while also hearing it blasting over your sound system. And once I retrained my brain and you start getting like the feel for the song, they do such a good job of pacing out the improvements that the song will experience as you get better yeah. at doing it. So like it gives you a multiplier. So it starts out like two times. It might just be like the like a, a simple drum beat and the bass. And then you get to four times and the guitar kind of kicks in. Then eight times the guitar riff gets a little bit the guitar riff and the drums and the bass line get a little bit more intense. And then you get to 16 times, which is the maxed out multiplier and the vocals kick in and it's like it's almost puts you in that trance state the flow state that you would get with a game like guitar hero or tetris where you're just like kind of just feeling the music going along with it and like almost that tunnel vision that you would experience from those games but you're doing it in a first person shooter but you're feeling it so it's like i i caught myself so many times just kind of bobbing my head to the music as i'm playing the game i'm not even like trying to do it to like keep rhythm or anything like that it's just the way that the game ramps up the the mounting sounds of the song as you improve how you're doing in the game it's it's so intelligently implemented and executed and it's also just a an overall competent first person shooter as well and they got like some really big names from the the world of metal like the i mean i interviewed you can uh read my interview with serge tankian from system of a down on gameinformer.com he he contributes a song that's really awesome um I haven't gotten to that level, but I've listened to the song. It's a really cool song. And then, um, you know, there's a bunch of other names that are escaping me. Uh, somebody from Arch Enemy. Uh, yeah, and while you look that up, I that is, like, one of my favorite parts. Of, like, the the stems of the sound, the s- soundtrack stems are essentially just being called based on, you know, your score. And, like, when you hit the max level, when the vocals kick in. Oh, it's so good. The, the first time that happened to me, I was like, oh, my God, like this game is on... <laughs> another level so yeah that we've got vocalists from uh dark tranquility trivium arch enemy refused uh which uh refused is actually the band that did the the, the rock songs from cyberpunk oh wow the samurai like it, they're like a yeah. hardcore punk band that yeah cd project red hired to come in and record songs as samurai which was johnny silverhand's band uh, so they got refused uh, the the vocalists of these bands to come in, and they collaborated with the, the the kind of the house band that that the outsiders, the developer hired to do all the songs called Two Feathers. Uh, and I mentioned Serge Tankian of System of a Down, Randy Blythe from Lamb of God, which is he's a huge name and he's an amazing yeah. vocalist. Trivium, yeah, just a a great lineup of vocalists and heavy hitters. Yeah, they they did a great job putting these songs together as well. Like you would never think that these are just like one off collaborations because the the band Two Feathers just 
knocked it out of the park. And by the way, the the founder of The Outsiders is David Goldfarb, who you may know from his work on Battlefield Bad Company 2, which is one of the more beloved shooters. Definitely. Yeah. He's that's awesome. You can tell that like there's a lot of DNA of like just like they know how to make a good shooter. And I'm having a really great time with it. it it's something I look forward to playing most nights now. Uh, it's just firing it up. It's almost like listening to an album because like it's laid out like an album. Like all right, this song is going to play while I play this level. And it's cool to like know who I'm going to be hearing when I get to that point when the vocals kick in. And the boss battles, I'm still kind of like getting a feel for, but I'm I'm hopeful that they get a little bit more intricate and a little bit more diverse. We'll see how that comes along. But so far, I'm loving it. It's I think in my top five of the year. I mean, subject to change, but it's it's something I'm really loving. Awesome. Well, let's get into housekeeping, and then we'll close the show out with a couple listener questions from Discord. Of course, we always start housekeeping off with a new podcast review. I think this is our last review, and then um, if you want to send in a review, listeners, you will be first in the queue. I want to give a shout-out to Davey Allen for leaving a five-star review. Uh, Davey went and over on Apple Podcasts, left, left a review saying, Starting this podcast is amazing and helps me with my long days at work driving. You guys make me appreciate gaming more than what I already thought I knew. You guys playing certain games, bring them back to life. Keep the content coming. By the way, my favorite owned OG Fortnite skin would be the Black Knight. We, were, we had a conversation on original Fortnite skin, I think, two or three episodes ago. Black Knight is a good choice. That is a very good choice. Classic Fortnite seasons. Miss the old map. Uh, appreciate what the game is doing now. Yeah, me too, Davey. I've been playing the new season, uh, the Chrome season, or Paradise is what they call it, but... It's kind of like got Splatoon mechanics, believe it or not. Um, and uh, it's it's very cool so far. But thank you, Davey, for writing in and leaving that review. We appreciate it. This week, go and check out uh, a couple of things. Uh, we've got the Dead Island 2 interview. We did it at Gamescom over on YouTube. Um, we've got a lot of great stuff over on the website uh, for you to read. Some Some features, some news, kind of... I feel like we've had, you know, there's some cool like photo dumps from TGS that we put up. Uh, it's been a lot of content over on the YouTube channel and in the website. So go check out all of that. Do us a favor. I think you'll like it. And yeah, follow us on social media this week. You can follow me, Alex Van Aken, at It's Van Aken. You can follow Brian Shea, at Brian P. Shea. And you can follow Matt, at DJ underscore Stormageddon. Uh, of course, listen to our other podcasts, Video Gameography and All Things Nintendo, which is what Brian hosts. And unfortunately, Video Gameography is on hiatus. Oh, okay. Well, Video <laughs> Gameography is on hiatus. But All Things Nintendo, like I said at the start of the show, uh, ATN is killing it. Brian's killing it. It's uh, There's always like a really – it's really cool behind the scenes. You kind of get to see Brian. He really puts a lot of effort into thinking up interesting topics. Right before we started recording this show, he was – writing down ideas for, you know, a future episode and yeah, you just you can tell the passion and and insight he has into Nintendo games. It's all very evident. So go listen well, to all you. things Nintendo. Yeah. Let's get into listener emails now that I've done the spiel, the housekeeping. Um if you want to participate in listener emails or listener questions, you can email us podcast at gameinformer.com or Discord, uh, you can go to our official Game Informer community Discord, which you get access to by subscribing to us one time on Twitch. 
uh, you'll link your Discord and your Twitch, and our server should appear for you once you've done all that properly. Twitch has some great FAQs on how to do that. If you have any issues, you can email me, alexvanaken at gameinformer.com. We've already answered a couple of the questions, but we have a few more. Uh, C Raider asks, what is the best button? The correct answer is GameCube, according to C Raider. But the best button, so the best, what I guess, best controller button? I don't know how we want to interpret this. The best button in general, like, you can go to Staples and get one of the big Staples red <laughs> buttons. Yeah. I'll say the A button. The A button. A button's true. But I'm not, true. I'm not specifying which one. I mean, that's, that's yeah, why would you? Then then people would know exactly what you're talking about. Am I talking Nintendo? Am I talking Xbox? I'm not talking PlayStation, clearly, because they don't have an A button. Yeah. I don't know. I think there's something about trigger buttons, especially like the the uh, the right trigger for like shooters. Like I don't play a ton of shooters, but I we mentioned Doom 2016 earlier, which was a game that got me back into first person shooters recently. Like it's so satisfying to hit that trigger and make those guns go off, especially like the sawed off shotgun. So I think yeah. I think the right trigger might be my favorite button. Yeah, it's the right trigger for sure. Like no contest, <laughs> honestly. I wasn't considering that a button though. I I mean it's a, it's a button. It's a button. It functions just like another button, but it's a it's... trigger. Yeah. <laughs> all right. All right. Uh, by well, by would definition, you, would, you, <laughs> would you count the DualSense touchpad since you can click that in like a button? The button capability of it, yes. The touchpad capability of it, no. Mm. <laughs> all right. Mm. You know what? I like I like the Z button. Z button's good. On you know older Nintendo. I mean, they're on newer ones, but I like their placement on like the N sixty four. That always felt really so good. So now you're just the, cheating the by saying, like, yeah, like because it didn't have, like, the kind of digital capabilities of current triggers. But it was a trigger by most other definitions. Yeah, but, yeah. but it functioned like a button it back did. then. It did. Yeah, it did. Yeah. So I agree. 64 Z button. I'll give you that. Um, <laughs> honestly, the, the most confusing thing, going back to my original thing about, oh, you don't know if I'm talking about Nintendo or if I'm talking about Xbox – that's actually incredibly frustrating. The fact that B and A are switched on both Xbox and, and Nintendo and X and Y are swapped on those controllers. Because if I ever play a game that like has like either quick time events or it's a rhythm game where I have to hit certain buttons to the beat and it's on a Nintendo system, as much as I play Nintendo, I never think about what button I'm pressing. I just think like, okay, I'm pressing the left face button. But if it's like you have to press Y, I'm automatically going to default to the Xbox Y, which is the top face button. Whereas on Nintendo, it is the left face button, which is just very, very confusing. I wish that we had like a unified (laughs) or like, you know, if you hit the X button, if it's the PlayStation, it's the bottom one. If if it's Nintendo, it's the top one. If it's Xbox, it's the left one. The X button is the most enigmatic button on all consoles. Yeah, uh, we actually had a listener write in this week. Winners redacted on Discord as was writing in about their frustrations and asking if any of us struggle with going back and forth, specifically between Switch and Xbox. And as Shay just said, yes, yeah, and specifically Switch and Xbox for me, it just drives me up the wall. Especially playing Splatoon lately, I that's been the first like Switch shooter I've played in a while, and it's just all a bit wonky going back and forth. Yeah, it's funny. Being a lifelong Nintendo player and like playing more Nintendo consoles than other consoles, I have the opposite problem. Like when Halo Infinite came out, I was playing online with you a bunch, as well as a lot of our other friends yeah. who have been on the show. I kept pressing the wrong buttons because I'm thinking of the Nintendo layout, which is what the yeah. Switch has and what the Super Nintendo had way back when. And like I just kept mixing up my buttons and couldn't remember what did what. I, I don't have that problem as much now, I feel like, because I also mostly play my Switch. And when I'm playing the Steam Deck, like 
like Shay was saying, the positioning really is like I'm memorizing the positioning, not the the name of the button. But I'll have that problem yeah. sometimes if I'm playing like a game with my PlayStation controller on the PC, which you can do. I'll sometimes like, because it won't have the PlayStation button layout, it'll still have the Xbox button layout is kind of the universal Steam layout. And I'll like, I did that with, um, before I had a wireless controller for my PC, I was using my PlayStation controller with the newest Devil May Cry, and I just kept screwing up the controls because it's trying to tell <laughs> me what the Xbox controls are, and I'm using a PlayStation controller which doesn't have any oh, of that Oh no. Stuff. It was awful. <laughs> Yeah, that'll that'll trip you up, especially when you're like when you're playing a game that like the the command is flashing on the screen of like yeah. press the Y button. It's like, uh oh, which button is that? <laughs> it's never it's never easy. Uh, moving on to the next question from Zachary Pleggy. Zach asks, if suddenly there was a real life King of the Iron Fist tournament and you were invited to compete, what would your fighting style be? Of course, this is in regard to Tekken 8 finally being shown off, or if you were tasked to choose a representative to fight for you or your company, whatever, who would it be? Well, I think Shay is the obvious candidate for somebody representing Game Informer. The man literally has, like, punching bags and stuff in his garage (laughs) and practices a lot. So if we're sending a representative, it's going to be Shay. But in terms of our individual fighting styles, are these Tekken fighting styles? Are they just more general fighting styles? I feel like I'd be pretty decent at like kickboxing. I've got some some tree trunks on me. <laughs> I feel like despite my size, I have a decent amount of endurance. I feel like that's what I would. Although the only thing I've ever trained in was Taekwondo, but I'm terrible at that. <laughs> so that definitely wouldn't be my my fighting style. What about you, Matt? What's your fighting style? So like for I'm a lover, not a fighter. I'm not, I, I mm. do not fight. Uh, it's not, you know, I can defend myself if I have to, but beyond that, it's like, I don't, I'm not trained in anything. If I could pick a representative from the Tekken world to represent me, it'd be my boy Yoshimitsu. He's been my favorite character since the early days of Tekken and Soul Calibur. The most risk reward character, because you can do that spin until you fall over, like, that would be my representative in the game. Mm, that's fair. And if I could, like, fantasy-wise just, like, download Neo-style, any fighting style, it would probably be his as well because it's completely chaotic and unpredictable. <laughs> you know, and I just, I think I'd go with that. I've actually changed my mind. I'm, I would be a grappler. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Shay? I mean, I've, I've trained in a few different styles. Like, I've, I've done formal training for kickboxing, boxing, a little bit of jujitsu, though that that was very much kind of like very novice stuff. And then um, Kenpo Karate, which is like a street fighting variant of karate that was actually pioneered by Elvis Presley's bodyguard. <laughs> Amazing. But yeah, so I, I've trained a few different uh, styles. I think that I'd probably combine Kenpo and kickboxing into some sort of hybrid style there. If I was, if I was going to be going into some sort of king of the iron fist tournament i think that's probably the way i would go and as far as like a representative god we've had akuma in in tekken let's send akuma there you go perfect yeah logan asks the fall season is upon us oh i need to get a side note i'm getting a pumpkin spice latte after this podcast the best i already had a pumpkin yes. cream cold brew I'm, oh you did yeah, oh I, let's go i went and got my uh my covid booster and my flu shot so tomorrow's gonna be a buckets of fun i think with (laughs) side effects here but yeah uh yeah on the way out i was like oh there's a starbucks in this grocery store i'm gonna swing by and get a pumpkin cream cold brew which i i prefer infinitely over the the pumpkin spice latte if we're going pumpkin me me too i i just call it psl for you know the colloquial like 
everybody understands the situation. I got you. But yeah. you're right. The pumpkin cream cold brew is the best. And I've actually – I looked up a recipe yesterday on YouTube. I'll send it to you. Dude, Shelley, I tried it. I tried to make my own pumpkin cream cold brew last fall. Really? And I just couldn't get the cream the right consistency. And it was ended up being – I've replicated so many of Starbucks' drinks, and I think like, yeah. to a better extent. Like they're uh, – yeah. Chocolate almond milk shake and espresso, I have made better than Starbucks, and it's like my my daily drinker usually. I'm going to actually make one of those after we wrap up here. Uh, I make a better iced white mocha than Starbucks, but the pumpkin cream cold brew, I just could not get down last fall. Maybe I'll try it again. I think I just need a better better cream consistency. Yeah, I think we're all in agreement of the pumpkin spice. I actually have a hot take uh, that was brought to my attention by Pilnock on Twitter, at Pilnock, a good (laughs) friend of mine pointed out that the Dunkin' Donuts pumpkin spice latte is actually better than the Starbucks, and I can confirm that. While Dunkin' Donuts is like my base level, like it's an emergency and I need any kind of coffee, I will go there. Their pumpkin spice latte is actually very good, doesn't need additional sugar, like is just, it's kind of like, feels less sweet and more perfect than the Starbucks counterpart. I think I would rather drink dirty dishwater than (laughs) Dunkin' Donuts. Legit. Personally. Get it. I get it. I get <laughs> it. Any almost anything I order from Starbucks, I'm asking for half sweet anyway because yeah. like Oh yeah, you got I, to. You yeah. have to. Absolutely, yeah. That's yeah. also the problem with Dunkin Donuts is their sweet the syrup is I, it's really it's a struggle like anywhere to find somebody that does syrup with like a not a heavy hand, right? right. Yeah. Uh, cuz it'll either taste like candy <laughs> or you won't taste it at all. It's yeah. it's, it's a struggle. <laughs> also, I'm sorry to any Dunkin Donuts fans I I upset I have once upon a time partaken in an iced coffee from there once or twice. As an East Coast guy, I am very offended by your Dunkin' Do- Donuts hatred. I'm an East yeah. Coast guy, so I feel like I have authority in saying oh, I see Dunkin' how it Donuts is. Right. is ass. All right. I don't remember. I actually don't care at all. <laughs> <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> Logan asks, uh, the fall season is upon us. What do you look forward to most during this season? The cooler weather? Spooky movies? Planning that Halloween costume? I'm always my most comfy when I wear a hoodie and jeans without overheating. Yeah. Those are those are all real good ones. I love this question. Well, so if I could go first, Alex, if that's Go right. for it. Yeah. Uh, uh I asked Alex, not you, Shay. It's not your show. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm <laughs> you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> but I, I am an you. admin on this Discord server, so I can just <laughs> Yeah, he's you. gonna kick us out. <laughs> just get kicked from the call, you hear me disconnect. He could probably get me fired, so let's you know <laughs> treat him nicer. <laughs> no, but um, so uh, for those who don't follow me on Twitter, but those who do, you might have noticed that I uh, adopted a very adorable and incredible puppy recently, Otis Hakelev Storm. Hakelev stands for the dog in Hebrew, which is my favorite part of his name because uh, it's just oh, so cool. ridiculous. Um, <laughs> but uh, my spouse, who doesn't always love Halloween, but I do, I always love, like I, I used to cosplay and I love dressing up. They brought up to me, we have a puppy now. We're going to have to start thinking about puppy costumes. And so I've yeah. already begun the plan of do we do a puppy costume that stands out from us? Do we all do a family costume? Because we we're already invited to a uh, party in a park in, in Manhattan uh, for later in October. And so, like, the plans have begun. And while all of those answers were great, like, I'm so ex- I, as someone who swore he would never be that person, I am absolutely planning a puppy costume for my new dog, and, <laughs> and it, it, it actually feels glorious. My side answer would be, I just bought an awesome new coat from the Pokemon Center, a Gengar coat that's kind of like a f- nice fall coat, and it's got like a big, 
uh, Gengar print on the back, and I'm looking forward to wearing that in the cooler weather because I like it when it's, it's a little cool out. The fall is kind of like my favorite time of year for weather-wise. Absolutely. I, I'm in total agreement. Fall is the best season. It's Hands down. It, the the coffee, the, the, the ciders. I particularly like just like hanging outside on a breezy day. It's a little chilly, but uh, I also am a layers guy. You know, when you're a bigger guy, typically layers do you really well in terms of style. And so you can't really do that in the summertime. Uh, and so fall is like the perfect, you know, culmination of me as a person. It's cozy. It's, you know, you, you get to wear your layers. A lot of really good games typically come out. Uh, and also my wife is like an incredible Halloween decorator. Nice. Um, like we get the ladder out and like hang, hang. We, she made a homemade like uh, skeleton cage uh, where there's a skeleton that hangs from our ceiling and he's in this black cage and like, he's surrounded by like cobwebs and everything. it's really impressive. She's really great at that kind of stuff. And so that's when like the how we usually like cycle through uh, decorations, like starting like October through like April, we have something new every month and like Halloween's the big kickoff of that. So that's probably my favorite thing. But what about you, Shay? So, for me, I think it's, I echo a lot of what you guys are saying. My big thing is I just love rocking like a nice denim jacket. Yeah. 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 I will say, I mean, uh, we've already talked about all the, the, the love and benefits that come out of the fall season. The thing that sucks the most when you live in Minnesota oh. is that there's that looming dread that winter is coming <laughs> yeah it really is like game of thrones up in this with like you know winter is coming and it, it has just as much dread as like Jon snow did when he <laughs> said that because once winter hits you can expect to not see the ground without some form of crystallized water on top of it for about five months and that is it, it gets so depressing when it's like mid-April and it's still not comfortable to go outside and it it is also just like I don't know like I love fall but Minnesota has almost ruined fall for me because <laughs> that's fair it's like the Sunday scaries only season <laughs> edition yeah that is very that's a very apt description of it this is going to be my second winter so I feel like I still haven't fully accepted that it's going to be bad again. but you did like, move here from Colorado yeah but Colorado would snow a lot and the next day it would all be melted for sure but like I moved here I mean again I, I grew up on the east coast so like Maryland Pittsburgh I'm used to like I, I've had yeah. winters before yeah but I moved here from Austin Texas mm. oh yeah very different so yeah I mean I was only there for like two years but like still it was a, a big climate shock. Absolutely. Well, I think we're actually going to end the show there. That's a fun way to go out. We've got a question for Bob Buell, from Bob Buell that we'll, we'll save for next week. But um, thank you, Matt, for joining us. Thank My you, pleasure. Shay, for joining us. Uh, it was a, a privilege to have you both. I really enjoyed our, our discussions today, and I hope everybody out there listening did as well. Uh, if you did enjoy the show, be sure to share it with a friend. Uh, if you haven't yet, Go and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to go check out our other podcast on the Game Informer Podcast Network, All Things Nintendo, hosted by Shay himself. Uh, that's going to do it for today. We will see you next Thursday. Have a good week, everybody. Goodbye. Bye.